Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode 128 of the Weekly Word Podcast. And I'm pretty excited this week to have something different, something new on the podcast, and a section that I'd like to call, or an episode that I'd like to have monthly that revolves around the athlete's mindset. And the athlete's mindset fits well into the entire purpose of what we're doing on the Weekly Word podcast. We talk about nutrition, we talk about recovery, we talk about training and its modalities, we talk about sleep, and finally we also talk about mindset and the athlete's mindset. So how do we go about with this next conversation? Well, I'm going to dive into it with Tim DeBoom, two-time Ironman world champion, and we're going to just talk back and forth about how he trained, about mindset, what worked for him, how he went about it in the sport back in the days when he was competing. He was an Ironman world champion in 2001 and 2002, so therefore a good 15, 18, 20 years ago. But that being said, a lot of the principles and how he applied himself still apply today. What's also great, we talk about how he got into the sport, what he does today, his family life, and again, how anything from his past athletic life contributes to who he is today. I found it quite interesting and when talking to him, how he applied himself back in the Ironman days and how he has very little left to give of that competitive going really deep into the soul, into the mind, as well as into his physical being so deep that he has nothing, nothing is the wrong word, less to give or not much to give anymore these days. And I also find it quite clear and an interesting um, point to note how he has become completely shifted from an introverted ultra endurance athlete, because that's what we are. It's not meant as a a, uh, criticism when you, when I'm saying introverted, but just Doing ultra endurance sports and Ironman triathlon, especially at that level, at the world champion level, means A, you're spending a lot of time on your own training in your head and you're doing it full time, which means you don't have a lot of people to train with day in and day out. And so you're very um, consumed by your own little world that you're in because you are so single-mindedly focused on a future outcome every October to put forth the best effort of who you possibly could be on one given day when the gun goes off at 7 a.m. on that October Saturday morning. So who he was back then and then hearing who he is now was something that was very remarkable to me and really stood out because I've known Tim um, sort of at one person removed and we talk about that for about 20 years now and I've always been able to observe him and talk with him sort of via his wife because I know his wife as a swimmer way back in the day and so yeah it just sort of isn't a fun conversation, a friendly conversation, a heartwarming conversation when we hear about his family life and who he is today and how he seems quite comfortable with being who he is today. And I tie that all into the athlete's mindset 
because he was so diligent, because he was so prepared, focused, had a specific intention, clarity, and purpose to every workout, every day, right? That he applied himself that singularly focused on a simple goal of winning the Ironman World Championships to hearing how he is today. It's all quite remarkable. So that will be today's podcast with Tim DeBoom, Ironman World Champion, and what I would say, family man today. So, um, but before we dive into that, I would like to um, also introduce the Sonoma Training Camp this year. Um, We are locked in. I've already introduced it to my athletes so that they get first choice, first dibs on the only 12 spots available for this camp. And it is truly a training camp. And what that means is we do plenty of training, but you are fully taken care of, fully supported once you step foot in beautiful Healdsburg, California, in the heart of Sonoma and wine country. We're going to do plenty of training on the 70.3 and Ironman course of Santa Rosa. (laughs) There's Santa Rosa, Santa Cruz, so many super seals. So I got my S's mixed up there. Um, We're going to swim in Lake Sonoma where the, the course is and get some wetsuit time and some instruction and tips and work around that. We're going to ride our bike on the course and the loop and get a sense of the course, but also in general, even if you're not doing that race or doing an Ironman um, or a 70.3 like it, just how you go about the bike course, how you go about navigating it, how you go about any type of bike course that you're unfamiliar with, but you come in with a certain sense of fitness and want to race it. What are you looking at? You haven't pre-driven the course. You haven't done this race before. How do you go about that? So we'll dive into that. Mindset, tactical strategy, all that for a 70.3 for an Ironman. We'll also run on the Ironman and 70.3 course of Santa Rosa. Again, getting a feel of where we want to do what we want to do on the course. And this doesn't mean just a nine-hour Ironman person. It also means for a 15-hour Ironman person because how you want to apply yourself on the course is irregardless of your speed or your desired result slash time outcome, you still want to maximize your own training and your own fitness on the given day. And so that will be one of the big days on that course on that day um, in this training camp. We're also going to do some beautiful bike rides in Sonoma, some of the famous rides up there, one that Levi Leipheimer always climbed in his prep for the Tour de France. So a beautiful, long, steady climb that has some real work in it, but again, in beautiful wine country. And all this completely supported SAG vehicles, bike mechanics, food and hydration, and different than the Coast Ride. The Coast Ride, we get you, we guide you down the coast with minimal support, meaning you're doing most of the riding. It's mostly anything you need. We provide water and food, but it's pretty simple water and food. No mixes, no specific food. Anything that you want to pack or bring, we put in the van so that it's available for you. In this case, in a camp, we have all that for you. Different mixes, different waters, uh, different waters, <laughs> different fluids, and all kinds of different food so that you can also work on what nutrition and what type of nutrition works best for you. Not just what nutrition, but what type gels, bars, 
um, um, chews, real food, sandwiches, um, fruit, all those things, um, different ways to go about nutrition. We'll dive into that. And we'll also have some pool time um, in order to get good swim instruction, good swim clinic time, good feedback, some video time, always a lot of videoing on these training camps because it's immediate feedback. Quickly take it with an iPhone while I'm riding next to you as you're running, while I'm on a motorcycle or scooter next to you while you're cycling, so forth, so that we get some immediate feedback and you can right away apply it or at least go home armed with great knowledge um, and great tips so that you can work on becoming a better athlete for your event and in your training over the following months. And then, of course, we include lactate testing in these um, camps, and there's continuing education with regards to mindset and strategy, as well as how to taper and go into events so that you leave these camps with a ton of value add and a lot of tidbits, even on things that you might have already known, different angles, how to go about it. And of course, Emily's going to be there with a bunch of nutrition um, insights. And um, you all get a nutrition consultation with um, individual feedback and plans for you to go home with as well. And having spoken to Emily and getting a one-on-one allows you to sort of have a personal customized plan for yourself too. So a lot in there in the Sonoma training camp. And keep in mind, besides all that, it's also fun. So we have a house rented with a pool and plenty of space. We'll be cooking from there, just hanging out, relaxing there. Hopefully we'll have some beautiful weather. And it's just going to be a nice four or five days of community, of idea exchange, of camaraderie, of course, of training, of learning, of really coming away from it with being a better triathlete than you were coming in. Not just in fitness, but also in knowledge, in approach, in mindset, in tactics, and also some gear and uh, technical work as well. So that's the Sonoma training camp. And it's four days of training. Most people arrive um, a day earlier. That way they have a little bit more time to get tested and also get a, a trail run in maybe with me. And they take off on the late on the fourth day. And we have some meals, beautiful restaurant meals included in Healdsburg as well as in Marin on our way out. We have a group lunch that is going to be really enjoyable. And then everybody heads out to the airports, whether Oakland or San Francisco, or you can even fly into Santa Rosa if you have that access. Um, So that's Sonoma training camp, AIMP training camp in 2020. Different than past years. We're moving into Healdsburg. We used to be in Northern Marin and train in Sonoma and Napa. But this year, we're just going to station ourselves right in the heart of wine country in Healdsburg, in Sonoma. And it's part of my belief to support that community that had some devastating wildfires a couple of years ago. And out of that reason, of course, other reasons, logistics as well, but also that reason mainly in order to just support them and be there and support their economy. So everything is included in this camp for the price besides airfare and getting to Healdsburg. Now you might need to rent a car 
or coordinate with other athletes or figure out the airporter from SFO in order to get to us, meaning me and the staff in Marin, and maybe you can get a ride up from there. But overall, everything else from that point is included. We don't include hotel, we don't include airfare, and we don't include rental cars, but everything else is right there. And I will set up some discounted hotel rates as well as two different hotel options so that the athlete can choose their budget accordingly. So more to be found on this, of course, on my website, aimcoaching.com. And it says spring training camp on one of the tabs up the to- at the top or Sonoma camp. And then you will find all the, the details on that page. And, you know, we're, we only have uh, five slots, six slots remaining. My athletes took the other six or seven. And so hopefully five or six of you listening or those who will see this on social media or just by word of mouth or friends of athletes will get a chance to experience this as well. And overall, it will be a memorable long weekend of new friends and tons of value add. That's my desired outcome for that. So you might have also noticed that the social media presence has gradually crept up. And with that, it's because I have a new person I'm working with who will be, I wouldn't call it, it's it's sort of weird saying employee because it's not like he works for me, we work together. And he's going to be taking on a variety of responsibilities and things that I just don't have time for. And he's going to optimize them. And I'm excited about that, to work with somebody. I've been a coach on my own for many, many years, 20 years or so. I did spend some time working in a performance training center with other coaches and um, exercise physiologists and so forth back, I would say, oh, that's 12 years ago, 13 years ago, including the likes of Matt Dixon from Purple Patch Fitness and um, Craig Upton from his training, as well as a few others, um, Charlie Livermore, who used to run the BMC cycling team. So we had quite a facility there and uh, a performance training center but we broke that off about three years into founding it because we all decided to go our separate ways. We're all still good friends, but it just highlights that I used to work in a sort of a group environment, and then it's been many years, 12, 13 years of working on my own, and so now I'm excited to work with somebody again to share insights and ideas with, and he's, of course, going to have his area of expertise, but he's also going to help me a little bit on the coaching. And not necessarily taking over training plans, but help me um, optimize and perform better as a coach. Take some workload off of me so that, again, I can stay focused on my athletes and stay focused on providing consistent value add for all of you in the form of coaching, this podcast, and any other way like training camps or coast rides in order to be there for all of you, the athletes or members of this community. So that's about it for this week with regards to any type of updates. I have a variety of podcasts ready. Um, Not that I've recorded them, but I have a ton of ideas that I want to dive into and I'm excited to do that. But first, I want to get this podcast with Tim out there 
and I hope you enjoy it. I'm actually not going to do a big intro for it because I think you'll find the conversation just sort of flows in itself. And no, we don't go through a formal athlete's mindset sort of protocol. I just wanted to talk to Tim. And I think you'll notice in our conversation a few themes bubble up that I will bring up on the back end of this podcast. So I will talk to you on the other side, and I hope you enjoy this conversation. I'm not the best at interviewing yet, so I'm pretty new at this, and I hope you can give me some feedback or if you liked it and what you would like to hear more of, and maybe some recommendations or suggestions of people that you would like to hear on the podcast. Tim happened to be a recommendation of someone close to me who recommended having Tim on the podcast. And I was like, you know what? Let me reach out. We have very many mutual friends. I haven't seen him or been around him in probably 10 years myself, but we, we settled right back in and had a fun conversation. So enjoy. All right, Tim. Well, it's great to have you on the podcast. Um, I'm not sure we can say we go way back, but we've been sort of around each other for many years. And um, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. And I'm, I'm looking forward to just talking with you and what I say, shooting the shit. Yeah. No, thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure, for sure. I feel like we've uh, we've got a similar like kind of group of friends that uh, we, we know the same group. Yeah, we've always been one person removed from <laughs> exactly. So, but you know, you and I started connecting again because of a friend of ours, Matt, who uh, mentioned that you could work some magic or talk to some people or just sort of bury a seed with regards to Norsemen. And from there, we've been sort of communicating more lately. Yeah, yeah, Norseman's. Uh... It's, you know, I consider it probably one of the hardest events to get into in the world. <laughs> and, yeah, I've noticed that. Yeah. That in Western uh, States. They have no lack of people who want to do it. So it's, uh, um, and it's not really a matter of who you know. I'm lucky that I, I do know the organization, but it's still, I mean, I can, I, I've got friends that, you know, I can get people into Hawaii, into Boston Marathon, into Dirty Kanza and Leadville and all that, but the Norseman is such a limited number of entries and, you know, they just, they really keep it tight, but I've, I've been able to get one friend in, in the past and, and now I'm working for you. So, um, hopefully I just did a podcast for them as well. So hopefully that'll, uh, you know, get their, get their wheels spinning a little bit. Yeah. Well, I surely appreciate it. And, you know, whatever happens, happens, and it's just an appealing race. And probably because it's so hard to get into, it makes it extra appealing, right? It's one of those where it's not, it has a lore to it. And, um, so from there, any type of, uh, added push is always great to get into because as we both aren't getting any younger, there's not too many more fast races. <laughs> no, <laughs> and that race is not a fast race. I mean, it's yeah. uh, it was my it's my longest race ever, and yeah, um, yeah, and it's it's just one of those. Uh, you know, I, I think I talk talk it up more than any race I've ever done, and um, you know, looking at my career, it's definitely one of the highlights of my career for sure. Just That's participating, awesome. not even winning, but just participating in it. Yeah, yeah, no, and I hear great things about it. But speaking of your career, how did you sort of get started in all of this? I want to go back a little bit because basically what I like to talk about is the athlete's mindset. And I have a big um, theme 
on how I work with many athletes and, and some of the public speaking I do and some of the companies I work with, that it doesn't take you take you know some sort of physical ability or um, elite results to have an athlete's mindset. I talk more about how it's you know training with intention, going into it with clarity and purpose, recovering properly. You can do anything that a Tim DeBoom does in his training or a Michael Phelps does in their training, not because of the speed or the, the effort, but in your prep and how you approach it mentally and how you want certain outcomes and how you recover and regenerate for the next workout and continue to compound on that. Yeah, I definitely think, you know, the approach can be um, everything as, as an athlete. I, I grew up a swimmer. Um, I think a lot of, you know, from my generation of triathletes, a lot of us grew up as swimmers and, um, I was definitely not the most talented swimmer and I wasn't the most talented triathlete. Um, for me, it, it, I really look back at everything that I accomplished was through hard work and dedication. Um, I wasn't willing to give up any, you know, I, I, <laughs> I took so many risks in my life just to give it a chance, give, you know, give this career as a triathlete, which I didn't even, that wasn't the intention when I got into it. It was just looking for a new competitive outlet that, you know, once I realized I wasn't going to make the Olympics and swimming, <laughs> which most people don't, I was still looking for that competitive outlet. And, um, you know, triathlon was kind of, uh, handed to me by a couple of coaches and said, ah, oh, you should give this a try. And, you know, I gave it, uh, I, I did one race and had a lot of fun and everything, but then I didn't do another race for over a year. I just was like, oh, I've done a triathlon now. And, um, but then after another year, the bug really hit. And, um, and then, it, yeah, it was, again, I, I approached it like as when I was a swimmer, I was the most dedicated swimmer. Uh, my brother and I were both, you know, they have awards at the end of the year and most dedicated was one of the awards. And I was more proud to get that than any other award. So that's kind of the way I approached my triathlon career as well. Yeah. And that's how that sort of the athlete mindset starts. And so what made you decide to go longer? Because that's, you know, going longer is sort of where the mental aspect plays into it. Sure. Two, three hours is a different mental aspect because your willingness to push yourself beyond what your body's telling you <laughs> and it wants to stop. But going long, especially in the form that you did with regards to Ironman and overcoming some serious, serious, crazy days, um, is where you're in your head, right? For eight, nine hours. And you're just sort of trying to work your way through it with that dedication. What, what made you sort of migrate into Triathlon, uh, Ironman triathlon. Well, I think, again, coming back from my swimming career, um, I had coaches that were, were pretty rough. I mean, we were doing 10,000 yard workouts and, um, you know, all in one bus, which may not sound like a lot to some people, but as a high school kid, 16, 15 year old kid, that's, it's a lot of time in the pool. And most of the kids cracked, um, who were with us and it would end up just Tony and I left in the pool. My brother and I left in the pool and, other kids were actually ending up in tears with some of these workouts. And, um, from that time on, I kind of knew that I, my ability to just train and push myself, it didn't always commute to great race, uh, you know, races as a swimmer, but my ability to, to keep pushing myself was always there. And when I got into triathlon, the only, uh, person who was kind of, uh, 
who introduced me to it basically was another swimmer from my high school who, and this was when he was already out and in college, but he had been trying to qualify for Ironman. And he was always one of the hardest workers in the pool as well. And I was like, well, if he can't, you know, maybe, maybe he's trying to do this. Maybe I should try and qualify for the Ironman as well. And, um, I kind of surprised myself with my second race ever. I qualified for the Ironman, but you know, back then you could qualify at an Olympic distance race. So, you know, I, I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't show any, you know, talent towards the long distance yet. I just, I got, you know, I trained for Memphis in May triathlon, which was an Olympic distance and they had Ironman spots and I, I won it and I got my spot and I, I had no idea what I was getting myself into. Um, yeah. yeah, I went and did, uh, not even a half Ironman after that it was kind of like, a three quarter half Ironman. It used to be this iron horse classic in, in Illinois. And I remember crossing the finish line and promptly falling asleep at like cross finish line. <laughs> my dad was there and I sat down and like really fell asleep. That's how tired I was. So that kind of put the fear into me of like, what am I into getting into with this Ironman? Um, but once you, I think once you do an Ironman, I mean, my first Ironman was Hawaii. Um, my first several Ironmans were Hawaii and you know, once you do it, you, you just, something changes within you. Uh, I think it's similar to what they say about pro cyclists. There's pro cyclists who have done the tour de France and there's pro cyclists who have not done the tour de France. And once you do it, you're a changed cyclist. And I think with Ironman, it's very similar. Um, and I, I, I honestly, I didn't show much talent towards Ironman racing my first couple times over there. It, it, it took a few to, uh, all of a sudden, and it, cause I had to understand the training back then there weren't all these coaches and all this information that you could do. So it was all trial and error. And I was doing one Ironman a year for a couple of years. And I finally, you know, figured a few things out and then, uh, I got 10th and that was when, you know, things really, I was like, okay, this is it. I'm all in. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny how you talk about our, our early days in triathlon, I remember my first half for Ironman crossing the finish line and Dave Scott was announcing and there's cases of Bud Light and Budweiser like stacked up behind him. I think it was like Gulf Coast Triathlon or something like that yep. before it turned like to some bigger event. And uh, he's like, oh, give this guy a hand. He looks awful. <laughs> <laughs> so I've done Memphis in May as well, St. Anthony's, all those early day early in the days races where I also started in triathlon where it was like after swimming yep. and sort of trying to figure out what to do next and sort of playing around in it. And as I've talked about a lot with my friends and so on, I, I figured out once I saw like Dave Burkoff and a few others and Lars Jorgensen at St. Anthony's and we're all swimming together at the front of the pack. I go, ah, I figure out where elephants go to die. Yeah. <laughs> All of us swimmers are, are trying to hang on to a career in here. Yep. So, but yeah. All right. Well, that, that, that's pretty much um, a good background on how we got there because yep. uh, yeah, it's, it was, it was different back in the day that. Yeah. It's a very, very different sport now. Qualifying at different events like that. Yeah. But you also, did you win wildflower at one point? I did. I, I did win Wildflower. That was one of my, uh, uh, another proud win. Uh, it was one of my big races against Steve Larson. And it was one of those epic years at, at Wildflower with torrential rains. And, uh, you know, just, I consider myself kind of a mutter where if the conditions, the worse the conditions, the better my chances. And, uh, yeah. 
you know, Hence it, Norseman. yeah, exactly. And it was one of those days and, um, I passed Steve with like a mile and a half to go or a mile to go and, and won that race. And, uh, again, that's, that's a proud win. That's one of those classic races, uh, in the triathlon world. And it's nice to have, have that victory in there as well. Especially against a Steve Larson. I mean, that guy could bike like the wind. It was crazy how aggressive he was. And, you know, for those that don't know, he, he passed away almost a decade, uh, maybe a decade or more ago, but it's been, um, he was an amazing pro cyclist who, uh, really came flying into the triathlon world and was doing some amazing <laughs> yeah yeah work in the Ironman space too because he could just bike right up to the front yeah I mean that was my uh, in Hawaii 2001 he was he was the one I had to pass to win that race he was in the lead so yeah you know wow yeah I had a couple of good duels with him yeah yeah and so what do you do today Tim ah uh, well, in terms of what? <laughs> in terms well, uh, well, we just talked a little bit before we started recording in terms of exercise. You're you're definitely out there hitting the mountains with regards to snow and having fun skate skiing and backcountry skiing and so forth. But in general, what what is it you you spend your days with? You have a family and everything. I do. I, I've been married to Nicole for it'll be 24 years this year, which uh, I'm very proud of. You know, anybody who's, who's married knows that marriage is a lot of work and there's ups and downs, and we've definitely had that. And uh, but we are it just you know past several years have just been awesome. And um, we had a daughter who just turned eight. And that was kind of when I stopped racing. Uh, she was born and I immediately, like she was born, I don't, I, th I don't think I raced again. Um, I might've done one race thinking that I was going to race. And I was like, nope, I don't want to travel anymore. I don't want to be away from her. And, um, and it was, it was a good uh, opportunity for me to just kind of step away and become that stay at home dad for a few years because my wife has her own business and was traveling and busy and, um, you know, and so I ended up just kind of staying home with her for two or three years. And it, that was, you know, it was awesome, but it was also, you know, challenging as, uh, you know, a kind of a motivated person to give up on some opportunities that had come my way. Just once I knew I was going to be done racing, I was, you know, there were options out there to do some, some cool, fun stuff. Um, work wise. And I kind of passed those up just so I could be with my daughter. And I'm, I'm so happy that I did because my relationship with her is amazing. Um, but on a day-to-day -day basis now, I, I, I do some personal training. I do some coaching. Um, I'm still the primary parent, basically. My wife is full-time with her work. And so I still am very flexible with, uh, with time with my daughter. And, and it gives me the flexibility to do some of the adventures and stuff that I know that in my head I need. Um, I, the exercise thing hasn't, I, I, there's a reason I excelled at Ironman. It was because I, you know, love to exercise and love to work out and that hasn't gone away. It's just changed into new things. And, um, I, I don't, I don't miss many days of getting a workout in. I, I can't remember the last one that I did actually. So, uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> we all, we all have that bug. It's <laughs> yeah. We have our addictions and I consider mm -hmm. that probably one of the healthy ones. Did we do? And um, well, that's a and one daughter. One daughter. That's it. Yep. And that's she awesome. is uh, 
Yeah, she's amazing. I, I couldn't be here that to hear a story or hear just how you're living your life like that is uh, beautiful because not many get that opportunity to make that work. I'm lucky that I also work from home and I've never missed out of my two kids, um, now four kids because of a remerged family, um, is not missing a day in their life of not being around is pretty, pretty meaningful and pretty impactful. So um, I, I'm also always grateful for those moments and those days knowing that I was there for their entire childhood. Yeah, I think, it. Uh, you know, I hope that when she's older and she looks back and she's like, wow, none of my other friends' dads were really around. And we live in Boulder, which, you know, a lot of the dads do work at home and a lot of the parents, so they, they do get a lot of time. But, um, you know, I, I coach her her school track team and cross-country team and I volunteer oh, in the classroom awesome. and... Um, I just, I get such a kick out of it. I've, I've really enjoyed, you know, being with the kids that I've even, you know, gone out to start working on being a substitute teacher at her school and stuff like that, just because I get such a kick out of it. That's, that's amazing. That's really amazing to hear. How do you think, um, you're being an athlete and who you were sort of lives in her or how do you apply it or how do you work with her regarding that? Because I mean, that's a pretty unique skill and ability and, perseverance that you've shown in your past life and how does that transfer to her you know it's it's really that that was that was a tough one because i i don't want to be the one to push her i don't want to be one of those parents like that's driving their child my parents weren't like that um that is driving their child to to do what i did or to you know push them into anything athletically so we've been nicole and i have been very hands off on we just want to make sure that she's always doing something. We're trying to introduce her to everything we can and plenty of the things that we enjoy now because I think the the lifestyle sports are what is going to be healthy for her future. And, um, you know, we've gone to some of these <laughs> empowering young girl things that they have at school. And, you know, the, the studies are showing that girls involved in athletics, you know, just their self-esteem is so much better. And, uh, as they grow older. And so that's, that's been my primary concern is just keeping her involved in athletics. I have no idea what she is going to trend towards physically. She's a mm -hmm. very much like Nicole and I, where she's a string bean, skinny girl, very flexible. Um, she's actually doing gymnastics and she's a really good rock climber. So she's taken up that. Um, and we've kind of, you know, pushed that a little bit, but I, she, and she runs, you know, the track and cross country that I coach and, you know, she skis with me, she cross country skis with me, she mountain bikes with me. So she's, she's getting introduced to all this stuff, but it is, uh, I definitely try not to push anything. I mean, she, she has zero competitive drive. Like we'll go to the track meets or the cross country meets and she would rather run with the girl who's in last place because she feels bad for them <laughs> than to sprint first, you know? <laughs> and, That's beautiful. Yeah, it is. It's her, she's so her empathy for everything is, is unbelievable. And I, you know, I give most of the credit to my wife, Nicole, cause she's very similar, but, um, it's going to be, it's such a fun thing to watch as she's growing. And, you know, maybe it'll kick in that she gets a little competitive, but maybe not. I mean, I don't show much competitive drive anymore. Uh, when it comes to like actual competition, I, I, I think I, I like to say I fired all my bullets and, occasionally I'll jump into something here or there, but that killer instinct is, is not very prevalent these days. Did you, I don't remember you being that much of a 
competitive in your face type of guy you think you were oh never never um, oh, okay i i actually didn't like competition i i liked the lifestyle and i loved to train i mean my yeah. i was you know i used to sit around and be like with my brother and be like God, wouldn't it be great to just train all day even as swimmers <laughs> and you know yeah. sure enough we turned that into a career but um there were times where the competitive side came out it, it took something to drive me to that point um you know, I mean, Hawaii was one of those places where it would come out. And um, I think most was of my, with your, most of my friends was it with yourself or was it with, was it, was it competitive? Well, it externally yourself. stimulated for sure. Okay. There were certain, okay. certain competitors could bring that out in me. Um, yeah. And uh, you know, it, I, I think my family and friends, they would say Tim went into a dark place, you know, when he was getting ready for Hawaii or, you know, they, they, they appreciate, they like me a lot more now than when I was racing. <laughs> I've had friends actually tell me that. So I have, I have plenty of friends that say that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I mean, but they, they say, you know, we know that you were doing it for a reason. I mean, I used to skip friends weddings and things like, cause I was like, no, I got to train, you know, and I, I can't, you know, so I, I, I went back when I was done racing and actually apologized to a lot of my friends and, said, I'm really sorry. And they were always like, no, don't be sorry. We knew what you were doing and we appreciated that dedication. But, um, you know, you do give a, uh, give up a lot, especially for Ironman. I look at age group athletes now and some of the athletes that I've coached and, you know, I'm just like, gosh, they've got to find that balance. And it's with Ironman racing, it's so hard to keep a balanced life. I don't think it, it exists. Is. <laughs> it is. I, um, I talk to a lot of my athletes about that, that balance and, I call it the three-legged stool with regards to work, family, and then this this other leg called, you know, training and personal lifestyle choices with regards to ultra endurance stuff like Ironman triathlon. And you know, if if the other two are not somehow participating, that third one, I mean, you remember way back in the day, if you had stresses outside of the training life, that they would still creep in and limit your ability to be your best, um, to train and dedicate yourself. Oh, absolutely. It was, I mean, I didn't race well until some of those stresses were taken away or just some stability. Um, yeah, you know, for sure. and, and if you're not stable at home, I mean, I, I there's no way I could have had a, a child and, and raced the way I, I ended up racing. I mean, I just, and be the dad that I, I didn't, Nicole and I never really intended to have kids and it, you know, I think Nicole looked at me one day and was kind of like, I'm ready to have a kid <laughs> kind of out of the blue. And, and, you know, you're either going to have a kid with your wife or she's going to find somebody else to have a kid with. <laughs> That's the way it works for women. And, you know, I, I just, I, I, I didn't know what to expect. I had never really envisioned myself as a dad, but once, you know, once Wilder was born, I was, I was smitten and all in and, everything changed. I mean, absolutely everything. And there is no way I could have competed the way I did and trained the way I did and lived the way I did and have a child and be in that child's life. Yeah. Yeah. And that's commendable, Tim. I mean, you should not, I mean, it's amazing to hear that. And, you know, it's, it's hard to let go of an identity in order to create a new one when as a dad, I mean, you went from athlete to dad within months, it sounds like, and um, just completely dove into the new identity, and that's that's pretty pretty unique to hear, and 
amazing to hear because it's that's a beautiful experience and and time that you will always have um now once she gets older it might you'll, you'll be back to having more time to yourself yeah and I, I see that all the time now like she's in school and i do have the opportunity i mean nicole's still so enwrapped in her business and busy and um that i still the brunt of it is on me but i, I get more and more free time and uh you know i do find myself right now kind of searching for that identity a little bit. I'm, I I had had this conversation with Nicole. I was like, you know, I don't, I don't know who I am right now or what, you know, I, I still, I'm definitely not an athlete anymore, like a, a competitive level athlete. And, um, you know, Wilder's friends all know me as just a dad. And I mean, Wilder until this year, didn't really know what I did. You know, we, I got inducted into the Ironman hall of fame. So we all went to Hawaii and, and did that. And that was the first time she's seen anything you know, related to what I had done. Cause we just don't, we don't talk about it. We don't keep stuff around the house really. And so she, I think she always kind of wondered what, what dad did. <laughs> and so do you have any, um, uh, dreams with regards to what you might want to do or, you know, it's, I'm, I'm definitely in that there's lots of different options in my head, but then instigating it is, uh, another, another effort. I mean, I, things have got to slow down for Nicole for me to be able to jump into some new stuff. I went back to school after when Wilder was younger, cause I could do it online. And I went back and actually finished my degree that I had, I, I left school with eight credit hours left, um, <laughs> as at the university of Iowa. And after 20 years, I went back and finished that up and, and even took some more classes cause I enjoyed it so much. And I was getting ready to go to med school when I, when I left school and, that's always been in the back of my head that the healthcare industry, um, mm -hmm. w with the personal training that I've done and, and the, uh, exercise phys stuff. Uh, and I'm just a student of the body. I'm a continuous student of, you know, injuries and myself. And, um, so I, you know, that's always an option. I enjoy training people, but I enjoy training people my way. And there's not mm -hmm. meaning, uh, personal training, like strength training more than like mm -hmm. triathlon training. Um, yeah. I like to, I like to, you know, work people hard and I think they get something out of it. Um, but there's not a lot of people that actually can handle, yeah. handle the punishment that I put out sometimes. <laughs> well, I like to say, you know, most people don't know what they signed up for. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Especially when it comes to sort of old school approaches, like you and I might have similar, yeah. um, um, ways of going about it. Well, like, you know, I always, I've got people training for Ironmans and I'm like, you know, Ironman training is not sexy. It's not exciting. It's boring. Oh, no. And yes. there's not a lot of people that understand that and can handle it. Most of them are, they want flashy training and that's yeah. just not the way I train. You know, it's, it is just, you'd put in the work and that's it. Which is interesting because you um, used to be coached by Phil Maffetone, right? Uh, you know, I, very early in my career, um, yep. I had an injury. Like I did my very first Ironman in 1992. And a week after the race, I went for a run like four days after the race, I got back into back to Iowa and I went for a run and my IT band like flared up so bad. I couldn't walk or run. I mean, I couldn't run or ride for like six months. And I happened to have a friend who knew Phil and got me in to see him and definitely changed my career with a lot of his advice. Um, he was more of a, 
natural path to me than a coach because I never really got coached by him like workouts and stuff like that yeah yeah but he definitely helped with my diet and some of my running form stuff that that guided me and was allowed me to do everything that I was able to do in my career for sure yeah and his entire sort of low heart rate approach were you in that space I was definitely in that space that helped bring me I mean I you know it the IT band thing, literally six months I hadn't run or ridden with, without like pain. And I, I mean, I couldn't run and it had been six months and I went and saw him and within days, within like one day I was running with just a few changes that he made. Um, and, and that really opened my eyes to like, if something comes on like that, unless it's a traumatic injury, like a broken bone or something, I'm pretty good at fixing it and figuring out what's wrong with it, not only with myself, but with other people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's funny because uh, I've been using his sort of low heart rate. I use it a little bit differently, um, but not much. I mean, the the foundation of everything he did with regards to his zone two and his tests and so forth um, is the founding principle of how I coach with regards to getting people to learn how to go easy on easy days and hard on hard days and not stay in that gray zone in between of always going too hard on easy days and too easy on hard days and sort of having a specific, you know, measurable focused outcome of every workout. And if that's low heart rate, well, then you sort of got to learn the discipline and the sort of the consistency of being there in order to have the results down the road of having outstanding fitness in order to take on some of these longer days, especially in Ironman training, where you're looking for back to back to back weeks or days even at at, at some times of doing big miles. And you're not going to be able to do that if you're not at that low heart rate space. Absolutely. Um, I mean, there were very few hard workouts that I did leading into any race ever like Ironman. I mean, even Hawaii, I'd be in the best shape of my life. And there were only a handful of workouts before that race that were, I would consider like hard, like heart rate wise where my heart rate broke. You know I mean? It's just, and I, you know, I come across that with athletes racing. They, you know, they're like, Oh, I was thrown up the whole time and all this during the, you know, dike. And I was like, well, that just means you're going too hard. <laughs> you know, it, just, it doesn't click with them unless they really do it in training and understanding that, you know, how low your heart rate actually has to be. And, and eventually, I mean, I, my heart rate was low, but it was really hard. You know, I, my heart rate, my that magic heart rate for me was like between 155 and 158. And mm-hmm. I mean, it was, I was running, you know, 525, 520 pace at that heart rate. And so, I mean, those are hard workouts when you're, but I was yep. still aerobic, you know, and yep. people just don't, I, most people that I come across today do not have the patience to do, to get to that level. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, those, th- those many, many weeks and months of low heart rate work and to set up the, the, the platform in order to actually accelerate from there and to see those paces come down at that low heart rate and to see the wattage let's say come up at the low heart rate it's um it's something most can't comprehend because it's so against what they grew up learning and uh, quite honestly what we learned swimming right yeah i mean was all i mean and you were like me then you were taking your pulse on your neck or whatever in swimming and it's like since the age of like seven or eight you know and i was shooting 200 210 heart rate you know (laughs) 
And if it's not hard enough, um, you're not swimming hard enough. And if you're not keeping up and you're getting lapped or somebody's, you know, from the walls and the gaps there that you're like, I'm not keeping up. (laughs) You're quickly swimming harder. And, you know, the the concept of recovery weeks and the concept of building a foundation and and, and sort of peaking. Now, they've gotten better at that in swimming. But man, the whole concept of that was did not exist in the swimming world. So applying that as we got older into the triathlon world, which just didn't make sense. What do you mean? I have to slow down to go faster. Yeah. I have to go easier to go faster that, you know, and we learned as most kids learn, even to this day, you have to go faster and harder to go faster. And it's a hard transition for, I would say most. Yeah. I I mean, I, it wasn't that hard for me because I was injured when I, when I was introduced to it and I was looking for gotcha. anything and, yeah. and I was all, I was pretty fit. So when he told me that heart rate to run at, it was still pretty hard, but you know, the key was to stick at that heart rate. It wasn't to, you know, thinking that anything below 155 for me was what I should be at. He was like, Nope, 155, no faster, no slower and run at that heart rate. And you know, I did every run and every ride and the rides got really hard where I had to start doing intervals up to 155, you know, but, uh, you know, it was very different than swimming and very, I had never been one to just go out and be like at the track all the time or doing these all out, you know, when yeah. I was in college and first getting into the sport. Yeah. Every bike ride I did was hard, you know, but they were yeah. only like an hour, hour and a half long. And I just go out and yeah. go as hard as I could. But yeah, when you start thinking, I got to, I got to ride for five hours, you know, in the mountains and I got to run two hours or two and a half hours, you can't go out and throttle it. And you, you know, you yeah. got to find that aerobic zone and, and live in it. Yeah. The go all day pace, as I like to call it. Yeah. And that's how you learn to fuel, which at Ironman racing is the absolute most important part of the race. Yep, for sure. The fueling is just, and again, it's something if you're going too hard, you're not going to be able to keep the calories down. You're also not going to have the same uh, signals that teach you that you're hungry or thirsty. It's crazy that if you're going smart at a smart heart rate at a measurable pace, how much your body tells you it needs when it's hungry, that it's thirsty. And sure, you need to keep up a basic amount of fueling and hydrating while you're going, but it will tell you if it needs a bit more or needs more drink. And again, if you're going too hard, all those signals are almost being shut down. Yeah. I mean, I I had a big learning experience in my very first pro year in Hawaii in 1995. And I, it was, it was one of those, it was Mark Allen's last race. And I was in this group with Mark and like Greg Welch all day. And I finished the bike ride with them. And I, it wasn't hard for me, the bike ride. It was one of those rides where I was like, wow, I feel great all day. And I actually ran well. It was my first run. And I think I went 258 or 257, but to watch Mark go 241 or 242 and we had ridden together, it just showed how in tune his aerobic engine was. I remember him saying something like his heart rate during the bike was like 135, you know, average the whole time on the bike. And, um, you know, mine was probably 145, but then on the run, you know, he was probably running close to a minute faster than me or, you know, 45 seconds a mile faster than me at the same heart rate. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And he would be known to start that same heart rate early in the season at like, you know, 745 pace. Yep. And then ever so gently, ever so gradually, 
he would just bring it down through consistent training and not necessarily doing any intensity work or speed work. It was just miles and miles at that efficient space and getting more economical in the stride and in the fitness and in the movements. And so that ever so gently, he's, like you said, running 545s, 530s. Well, and we were very good at taking a big break. Like Hawaii was always kind of the end of the season. And we'd take a break where we did very limited work until, and I learned this from, from some of the other guys as well. It was like January 1 was when you started. And a lot of times we'd go down to South America and race like January 8th with nothing Pecan. in our system, you know, and you'd be like, all right, I'm going to double my fitness on this day. Yeah. And we'd go to Pecan. Yeah. We'd go to Pecan and that would be that race. And I, you know, I, Later in my career, I did, I would always, I'd start a little earlier, um, just doing some base miles. Like Peter Reed and I would go to California and do a little training camp before the holidays. So we could, you know, bank some miles before we enjoyed the holidays a little bit. But, you know, for the most part, the seasons now have gotten so long, people racing in November and December, and they're just not taking these breaks. I mean, I, I think that was one of the keys was letting yourself get out of shape to get back into better shape. And it, the platform would always come back pretty quickly. Oh, I mean, yeah. it'd be surprising how much quicker every year would come back. And it's interesting these days with all the testing and lactate data and so forth, most athletes that are consistently training, their numbers don't necessarily change that much if they're out of shape. It's more that they are inefficient to hold those numbers. They can't hold that wattage for um many hours, but they can hold it for a few minutes. And so therefore it's about getting efficient again at those numbers. They don't necessarily get out of shape. It's just your ability to hold the numbers, hold the pace, hold the swim pace long long enough is not there. And that's, that's easy to build back up. Yeah. I I remember we, we used to um, start December 22nd every year because daylight saving t- time, the days officially got longer. And so it was time to start training again. A little bit more each week, just like the sunlight, but we would always take off from October until December 21st. Yeah. And you do a little bit here or there, some, you know, turkey trots or something like that, but nothing dramatic and no structured training. And then on December 22nd, it's like, all right, well, here we go again. It's time to step back in. Yeah. That was the key for me was no structure. And what I try to do with any athlete that I work with. And I would always, I had this hike in Boulder, this, uh, just this hike in town. It was like a three mile hike, but it had a couple thousand feet of elevation and I could be in the best shape of my life. And it was always still hard, but I did that every day in the off season basically. And it was just getting strong, being outside, um, and enjoying, keeping some movement in me. But just like you, I, I don't think I touched a pool from Ironman until January one for me. And <laughs> that would it, always be a little awkward getting back in the first few times. Yeah. It comes back so quick. And oh, yeah. I see that with, you know, once you have this base of, of training from, you know, you and I being swimmers, you know, it's from six years old, <laughs> you know, you've been building that engine. And, um, once a person has built that engine several times, it comes back very quick. I still see it now. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll have like over the holidays, I had some free time while Wilder wasn't in school and I got, you know, I, I'd backcountry ski in the morning. I'd go skate ski in the afternoon and I'd downhill ski with her throughout the middle of the day. And, I'd get home and Nicole would be like, you know, like you're getting really fit. You know, I was getting leaner and, you know, every day I felt stronger and stronger. And so it just comes back so quick. 
Yeah, it's 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 fun to play with that engine too, to know that it's still bubbling somewhat below the surface and what it takes to activate it. It's actually an interesting part of returning to fitness to see how it all comes back to the surface. It's it's a fun experiment. Absolutely. I mean, it's, I still get a kick out of, you know, testing testing the engine occasionally on my own. Yeah, well, you're going to get that in skate skiing. Talk about an aerobic activity where it goes anaerobic real quickly. Yeah, a couple of hours <laughs> on the skate skis. I always com- oh. compare it to like five-hour bike rides. Oh, yeah, absolutely brutal. And But there's some beautiful huts out there and places that you can turn in, or are you even more remote than that? Uh, some of the stuff's more remote for sure. Um, you know, and, and I dangerously I go by myself a lot, but I try and keep it very safe. And anything I do by myself, I'm doing low angle stuff. And then in the spring we try and get out and, and with some friends and I'll, I'll do some, some bigger mountaineering type stuff, um, which is, which is fun. But, uh, you know, and then I also just do laps at the resort. Like that right now the, the avalanche danger is pretty bad. So I'll, I'll just go to, you know, like winter park or steamboat and, and just hit laps where you can get 3000 vertical feet in one lap. And I'll do a few of those. <laughs> yeah. yeah. What do you do in the summer? You know, I still run uh trail running. I, you know, I, I actually added one day of pavement running back into my schedule because I was, you know, I, I think it helps my form, but for the most part, I, I do trail running, mountain running. Um, and running is, kind of relative at this point because a lot of it is like hiking i i use poles now even on on some of my mountain runs mm-hmm. um but i'll you know I'll, anywhere i'd say in the summer I, I run every day uh you know it's it's pretty much i wake up and that's that's my go-to i'll start in the dark with a headlamp and you know a lot of times i'm back before my family's even awake um i definitely enjoy that i do the same thing with skiing in the winter but um and then i, I mountain bike a ton you know, I don't, yeah. I don't really road, but I don't, I don't ride on the road at all. It's, uh, I don't enjoy it. And it's just kind of scary these days, even here in Boulder. Um, yeah. Oh, for sure. But uh, I'm out there you know, I spent every much- summer at some point training and, and somehow it's always like, yeah, you know, I could go up on the mountain and do some running and some mountain biking instead. Yeah. So I- switch. I look at some of the rides I used to do training and how scary I, I was like, I would never do those rides today with, I mean, just, I, and I think some guys are still doing them and I'm like, they're just, they're just asking to get hit. It's just yeah. so crazy out there. And, but yeah, I really enjoy mountain biking. Um, and you know, we've got just tremendous trails. I spend most of my, you know, we, we live between Boulder and, and have a place in the mountains as well. So um, anytime I get, you know, a day even I go up there. Yeah. Yeah. And so do you see yourself doing anything in that space athletically of trail running or mountain bike? Yeah. Is there some lure there? I've jumped into stuff like that. Um, even some of these, they have, there's a quite a few series of these, uh, weekly, um, uphill ski races in Colorado. And I've actually jumped into some of those now and, um, they're just fun. It's good. To, like I said, I mean, your heart rate goes sky high and it, that feels good. Sometimes you get done with that and it's like, wow, I really pushed myself. Um, and there's some longer like skate ski races out here, point to point stuff. That's really fun that I've jumped into. Um, and the trail running stuff. Uh, yeah. When I can work it out, I jump into it. Cause it's, you know, the, and I enjoy just getting out there. I don't feel very competitive these days, but um, you know, it's nice to kind of have a catered trail run occasionally if they're point to point. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> a good way to spend a Saturday. Yeah. Yeah. It's not bad. And I mean, there's some epic races out here, like, Oh, for sure. You know, like the grand traverse and stuff like that, that I've done now, which, which are, and I've done the Leadville races and they're just fun. I mean, it's, it's, it's a different community, different atmosphere than triathlon and, um, you know, much more up my alley these days. But you don't necessarily train for them, right? You just jump in and participate. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, my philosophy now is I want to be in as good a shape to jump into anything I would want to do or any, like if a friend asked me to do some epic journey, I, I want to be able to do it and be fit enough to do it. And, and then just overall health. Um, as I get older, I've noticed, like I, I lost weight from when I was racing just because, you know, I, I don't know, you know, I think, I think I lost a little muscle mass and when I was just pushing the aerobic engine more instead of keeping up with my strength work and, so for the past 10 years, I've, I've focused on strength work more than everything, anything to just keep my body strong. I don't, I don't want to be like, you know, 60 years old and be so weak that I can't take care of myself. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I, I always say I will skip a run before I skip a weight workout. Yeah. That's interesting that, um, you, you've, you've flipped to that, that you would want to skip one versus the other. I mean, for me, the same thing, I used to not be such a strength person. I, I would definitely prescribe it, but for myself, I didn't really feel it as much. And then about three, four years ago, everything changed there. It was more like, I really, really have a gap here. Yep. And yeah. ever since then, I don't like to go any week without doing multiple strength type of um, activities, but tr truly strength work for sure once or twice a week. Absolutely. And, you know, it just helps, you know, like you said, being able to jump into anything. It's an interesting thing he just said, because a lot of my listeners and, and people who know this podcast will, will smile because that's exactly what I talk about. Our fitness and our ability to have fun with the fitness we've built and the consistency we hold to, to do anything, like to be able to pivot and be six weeks away from taking a part in a mountain bike race or a trail race or a surf trip or whatever it is, whenever your friends ask you for something or do something or your kids or um, whatever it is that you say, you know what? Absolutely. I can pivot, do some specific work towards that for the next six weeks and I'll be ready. Yeah. I, I mean, when I stopped racing, when I was racing, I just remember having to say no all the time to all my friends saying, Hey, let's go ski. And I said, nah, I can't do that. And I just, I never want to say no. I, I don't yeah. want that to be my first reaction. I mean, I might have to say no because I have family obligations or something, but physically I always want to be like, okay, yeah, I'll give that a try. Um, and That's an amazing approach. Yeah. And I, it's, it's healthy. I noticed, I mean, I was, I was coaching the, my daughter's, you know, track team and we were going to finish with a game of tag. And I noticed that I, I was struggling. Like I was a little, like, I needed like a, you know, 15 minute warm up run to be able to play tag. And I, I really hated that. So I, you know, I added into my weekly thing. It's like, okay, I'm going to do just these 10 second sprints uphill and get my body so I can, you know, I can, like I watched my daughter jump out of bed and, you know, she's running around. I'm like, I want that back. You know, I want to be able to do that and I'm not quite there yet, but <laughs> I'm working on it. But that's an interesting way to approach what your uh, training prescription is, right? To see what makes you happy in your daily activities yeah. and then integrate that into a training prescription or into your week of what you want to hit as mile markers. Yeah. I mean, I, I just want to, I want to, 
get rid of all any weakness that I see. You know, I used to, I mean, I'd go to the gym and I would, I'd feel like I was lifting heavy weights and then I'd try and do pull-ups and I was like, God, I can't even do like 10 straight pull-ups. What's, and so I came home and I put up a pull-up bar and a hangboard in my garage. And now I can rip off, you know, within a workout over a hundred pull-ups. And I do that almost every day. You know, it, yeah. it's just, I want to grip strength. I want to be, you know, body strong and be able to do anything that, you know, that I feel is lacking in my body. And I, I, I overall health wise, I, I think I'm healthier than I was when I was just racing. Yeah. Well, that's also the other issue that I was going to bring up is that we're so focused on the, whether it's the three sports or the one sport we're doing that we lose the perspective of just how beneficial overall body weight, strength, and strength is to contribute even to that one or, or those three sports. Like so often there's especially, let's say pull-ups or things like that, that you would think, oh, well, what would I need that while I'm swim, bike, running? But absolutely, it's, it, it, it ties into the entire chain of integrity in our body. And, you know, when you're in the aero position, having good, strong shoulders to keep that position tight and core and everything engaged so that you can just relax into more powerful pedal stroke that all ties into it but it's it's so overlooked because most athletes have so little time to train and so they're just thinking activity versus you know building the the the, the network around it yeah i mean and i i preach that as well i think a lot of athletes are like oh well why would i lift weights if if I don't even get to ride enough, you know, I should just ride more. And, you know, I mean, we're, I've always lifted weights ever since I was a swimmer, but I'm so much more focused on it now. And I just think that once your big cycling muscles get a little tired, those little muscles, you know, that you hardly train while you're cycling, but you can train in the weight room or train doing different activities. Those are the ones that actually take over your kind of your postural muscles. Yep. They contribute. Yeah. And, and people forget about that. And, and I, you know, I just think that overall strength is such a factor. I mean, I, I made the mistake like a lot of athletes have where you get too lean and too skinny going into a race. And, um, you know, that's to a fault. Ironman racing is just not about being light and fast. It is about being strong. And yeah, I just, the durability to, to be that many hours in and still be able to run a marathon off the bike. And that's also the part that what you were just saying is those support muscles keep you from running your running form for as long of the marathon as you can because it will break down. But once it breaks down and the hips start collapsing and the core isn't contributing and the hip flexors are shot and the hamstrings aren't doing their work, it's you, you know your run is going to slow down dramatically. And that's why the weight room and strength training is so important to continue to keep that those muscles contributing as far into the twenty six point two as possible. Well, you watch the guys that are that are winning Ironman any any of the races, but the real guys and they're metronomes out there. I, I was yeah. a metronome, you know. It was like that was holding that form together. I was finishing like I started, you know. And I, I mean, watching last year for the first time in ages uh, watching i mean jan Ferdeno was i mean just metronome like didn't change out there his his form did not change and that is what it takes go back and look at chrissy wellington and these you know i mean it's just like or crowey that's that's what it takes and those guys all did you know massive strength work and kept their bodies strong 
to, you know, like you said, there the the less your form breaks down, the faster you're going to go. Yeah. Yeah. So um, tell me about that one time, the infamous time, you knew this question was going to come with uh, during Ironman and being in the ambulance. Ah, uh, yeah, that's uh I mean, too many people don't know how hard that day was and how you, I mean, what you overcame and how long you hung on there. Yeah, I mean, no, that's just an infamous that was, story. That was a weird year. Um, I, leading into the race, I mean, I was, you know, I was had won it both years and was coming into it. I felt like I had had great training and everything. And I always left home in Boulder about three weeks before the race and went up to Santa Cruz and, and finished my training to get down from altitude and, and, you know, just change things up before I headed over to Hawaii. And, uh, everything seemed okay. I was having just some back pain and I figured, oh, it's just from the travel and the different beds I was sleeping in and stuff like that. And, um, you know, the race started out great. I think I was leading out of the swim that year, which I was, you know, I just had a great swim and was on the bike and things were rolling. And, but I still in the, in the, uh, in the race, I was still having some back pain throughout, throughout the race. And I just was kind of muscling through it and, um, came off. I, I think I started the run in the lead or with, with another guy. I mean, Pete was right there and, um, and about a few miles into the run, I knew something wasn't right. I felt like I had even like appendicitis at that point, the pain had shifted from, you know, up to my, where the appendix is. And I really was like, Whoa, this is some serious pain. And I, I tried to brush it off. It's like, well, of course I'm, I'm in pain. It's an Ironman and I'm trying to win. And you know, you're in pain. And, um, I got up on the highway and I, I was still fighting for the lead at that point. And, literally uh, one of Nicole's friends was on the highway. She had flown out to see the race and it happened to be at the spot, right at that spot and watched me basically pass out into the arms of one of the medics at the ambulance. I was, just, I remember seeing the ambulance on the side of the road and that was the last thing I remember. And it was way up ahead, but that was the last thing I remember. And until I woke up back at the, uh, the med tent, um, in the, you know, from the ambulance in the med tent and my brother, who's a doctor was kind of standing over me. And they were just trying to figure out what was going on. And um, they had some IVs attached to me. And um, at that point, you know, obviously I was, I just couldn't really figure out what was going on. And um, I started describing what I was, you know, feeling. And then, and I was, and cause all of a sudden I was in no more pain. I was just like, oh, I, I feel fine. Can I keep racing? <laughs> you know, and, um, they were all just like, no, 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 no. And I kind of described everything that had happened. And my brother, who's a doctor, he just looked at me. He's like, God, this is crazy, but that sounds like a kidney stone. And, uh, you know, nobody really believed it, but he was the one who was like, all right, well, let's, let's at least collect your pee, you know, for, for 24 hours and see what, what happens. And we collected my urine then for, for 24 hours. And, you know, within a few hours it was in my urine. Um, they had a little stone in there. And sure enough, I had had a kidney stone during the race. Oh, that is so painful and brutal. Yeah. And yet you kept running through that. It's, uh, you know, looking back, I, everybody, you know, I've never watched the footage of that. I've never watched really any of my footage, uh, from racing. And, you know, people describe that one to me. I really don't have an interest in seeing it because a lot of it, I don't really remember. I, the, the hurt was afterwards and knowing that, 
you know, I didn't get a chance to finish that race. Um, yeah. And I, in all honesty, I don't think I was ever quite the same after that. Um, I think that was a kind of a, a breaking point for maybe it was physically and mentally, but, um, it was a pretty deep well I went into, uh, emotionally as well after the race. And, um, it, it, that was a, that was a tough one to come back. And obviously I never really did because I never, I never won over there again. So, um, that was a changing point of the career for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting how you say that when you go that deep into the well, it leaves, it leaves a mark for a long time to come. And it's hard to sort of ask your body to do that again when it's been in that type of space place and it'll fight you. And that's the hard part too. Even in all these endurance events is like it it knows to protect itself from ever going that deep in the well again. Yeah. And I, I I think emotionally it, it, I think my whole career uh, plays into where I'm at now in a headspace. I I think I gave so much, uh, I mean, of so much of myself, I, I was, like I've said, I was not the most talented athlete. I was the hardest worker and most dedicated. And I put everything I had into those races and to, you know, into my career and to winning those couple races. And I, you know, it it is, I I couldn't go there again. Like I I just, now I'm so removed from it. And so I understand, I, I just was like, it's hard. It was hard for me to even, um, like until my daughter was born, I think, you know, I, I mentioned like marriage and it's marriage can be tough. And I think it was even then it was like, I was so emotionally, physically exhausted from my career that it, it uh, you know, it had, it played a part for the next several years um, in everything that I've done. And even to this point, I just don't, I don't know if I could, it, it's hard for me to put that much effort. Even if I found a, another career that I loved, I'm not sure I could put a full effort into it because it, it just, it's so taxing what I put into that, that, those efforts. But I mean, you also know, and that the comfort of today of knowing, you know what, I gave it my all and I left nothing out there. And there's a sense of peace and satisfaction and knowing that, you know what, I did it and I did it my way on that level. And I left nothing out there. And that's an incredibly powerful sense of confidence that you must have with that too. Yeah. I mean, I can look back and, and be proud of the accomplishment. Not, I can't. So like I said, I've had to apologize to people for just, <laughs> yeah. you know, the, I, but to the, the person I, I was to accomplish that, I mean, how much it took, but yeah, I, I, I often look back at, I think there was a cheers episode, the TV show cheers where they were all looking at jumping out of an airplane. And Norm was like, if I can jump out of this airplane, then I can sit on this bar stool the rest of my life and be satisfied. <laughs> and sometimes I feel that way. I was like, well, I put everything into that, that one aspect yeah. of my first real career. And I, I can live pretty, pretty happily with that. So, um, well, but yeah, you no, sound it, like it, you're doing pretty good today with regards to having accepted that chapter and um, being confident that you, you, you close that book and you know, you wrote a good book with it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm working on act two right now and it's, it's still just a work in progress for sure. As it should be, right. That's life. I mean, we we don't, we don't know how it goes. For sure. For sure. I mean, we're all, it's that, you know, that age bracket keeps edging up of, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to turn 50 this year and 
I, I can't even comprehend that number because I still feel like a, a young guy, you know, and, but that, that's a big number. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I'm like, ah, I'm still, I, I've got an eight year old daughter that I'm chasing around and she keeps me very young. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> she's going to keep you young for a couple more years and then she's going to make you old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm right in that transition where with a few teenagers, it's, oh. it's like now I'm, now I'm aging quicker. Yeah. They yeah. used to keep me young. But scary. <laughs> now it's definitely turned the tone. Um, with regards to mindset, what, what are your, um, as we close this out, what do you, what are your thoughts around mindset and athletes and especially in the ultra endurance world? When you, when you think about your mindset, when going along, and despite the dedication and the hard work, but you're now in the competition or you're now in the event, where's, what's your philosophy when it comes to mindset at that point? You know, for me, it was, I think a lot of people look past just finishing. And, and so they have these goals and they set these time goals or these place goals and they forget the first and foremost goal needs to finish the race. And if you've put in the training and done everything right, the results will come. But sometimes if one thing goes wrong or one number is off on their power meter or something, they get discouraged and they drop out or they quit and, or their head quits and they just like, I'm walking it in. And, um, you know, for me, it was there, that was never an option. It was like, I had to, you know, I, it was remember that your first and foremost goal is to finish and get to that finish line as fast as you can, no matter what it takes, walking, crawling, whatever it takes. If you got people on the sidelines and you're looking rough or you're thinking, oh, I might drop out, you can't, you make sure that they know to yell at you, make you feel <laughs> like you cannot drop out because there's no, that you, there's no finish if you drop out and there's, you don't learn anything when you drop out. And I mean, it's really bad for your head. I've got athletes that have dropped out and I just, I want to scold them. I'll be like, why'd you drop out? You could have finished, you know? And, you know, so I think that first and foremost goal, no matter what has to be to get to that finish line. And in ultras, that's a hard, that's a hard thing to remember sometimes because it does get hard. It's never easy. There's always a time I, I had every race I ever did. I thought about dropping out. And, but it's immediately replaced with, nope, I'm going to get to that next aid station, refuel and keep going. And I think that's the first thing that people really have to remember and get into their mindset. Yeah. Yeah. No, and that, that's the start of everything, right? Yeah. For sure. I'm doing this now question of how I'm doing it. That's a different discussion, but for sure I'm doing it. And then we'll go backwards from there to figure out you know, strategy or tactics or performance outcomes and so forth. But yeah. man, yeah. well, and then um, what are, what are any plans this year with regards to um, anything athletically or something like that? I mean, I know we talked about what you do at certain times of year, but any, any plans, anything coming up? I don't have any, uh, I, you know, I, this time of year, there's a couple of big uh, like ski races out here, ski mountaineering races. There's uh, the Aspen power of four, which, you know, it's like 10,000 vertical feet in a day and you go over all four mountains and then the Grand Traverse. And I, I, I haven't signed up for them, but usually somebody, uh, somebody's, they're, they're partner races. So you're two man teams. And usually, 
usually I've got a friend or somebody I know whose partner ends up getting hurt or bails on them. And so I'm kind of on call for that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> That's perfect. <laughs> Cause I enjoy that. Um, otherwise, you know, I've got some, just some adventures planned in my own head that stuff that challenge me. Um, they're not organized races or anything like that, but, um, I've got these, you know, list of mountains that I want to climb and, um, you know, or, or, continuous mountains that I want to climb. And, um, I enjoy getting outside and, you know, I, I have no problem like going out at five o'clock at, at night to climb a mountain and, and ending up staying out overnight, as long as my wife knows where I'm at. And that's yeah. the kind of stuff that I really enjoy is self curated adventures, as I like to say. Exactly. And, um, those are just, those really are fulfilling to me these days. Um, and if any of, you know, if, like I said, if something comes up that I want to jump into an event, um, that's fine, but I don't, I don't get as much uh, satisfaction out of that as, as much as I do out of just kind of being out there and, and creating these new crazy, uh, you know, epic days on my own. I, I had plenty of them last year where i tell my wife, this is the general area where I'm going. I'd leave before the sun came up and I'd come back at dinner time and, you know, just be fulfilled beyond what I could imagine uh, any race could do for me at this point. That is amazing to hear. I mean, just being able to be in nature immersed like that and being able to take it in fully fit, strong enough to do it with a good mindset and sort of with in a good space to just enjoy the day truly for what the day is, is basically an outcome that we anybody could wish for and you get to do it um a few times a year or many times a year it's um it's amazing to hear yeah i the being in nature has uh you know when you're at when i was racing full-time and trying looking at performance you don't appreciate it as much and now it is paramount to my daily happiness um it it's just something that uh, I can't even describe it. I would say as close as I get to religion is being outside and being in the mountains. Um, the ocean doesn't really do it for me anymore. It's definitely the mountains. And I, um, I, I just, I couldn't trade it for anything at this point. I'll, I, I can spend hours and hours and hours out there. And uh, I, I live in a world of awe most of the time with the stuff I, I get to see out there. Um, yeah. And it, you know, I, I, now I bring a camera with me wherever I go, which uh, has been fun. And, you know, we have photos of the stuff I get to see out there around the house. And, um, that that's, that's been fun to be able to, you know, you're out pushing your body, but I'll, I've got the wherewithal to slow down, grab my, get my camera out and sit for a minute to take some good pictures and, and then just get up and get moving again. And, um, do you post those online or do you post those on, I, you know, or I, just I, I, have a, the house? I have a love hate relationship with Instagram. Um, <laughs> you, can, you can look at, I'm on a, I was sabbatical right now. I haven't posted since my birthday, I think back in November, but, um, like I said, it's the social media. I am not on any of it except Instagram. And, uh, I've taken lengthy sabbaticals from that. I used to post every day, a picture every day. And that's why I originally got on it was, it was kind of just a nice photo diary years and years ago when it first came out, I was on it. And, um, and now I have this love hate because it, I almost feel like sometimes I share too much of, you know, stuff that I want to keep close to my heart, but no, people can check it out and, and, you know, tell me what they think. Cause, uh, I do, I've actually 
taken some jobs as a photographer now uh, because of Instagram and I've done some photo shoots for, for different people and companies and stuff like that because uh, I, oh, right on. I enjoy it so much. It's, I think I can get out to places that other people can't get out to with a camera. Um, exactly. So it's, oh, that's cool. what's your social media handle? It's just Tim to boom. Oh, right. On, Tim on DeBoom. Instagram. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yeah. on. And then, wow. I mean, just being here in that, you know, yeah, I'm the same way. <laughs> I call it my outdoors and I'm here in Marin County on Mount Tam. And when we're running on a Sunday morning and it's just gorgeous and it's like, this is my church. I don't, yeah. you know, I'm just as close to anything called or described as God while I'm out here in nature, fully immersed by its creatures and, uh, you know, and the trees and the beautiful views and sun and fresh air than anybody in a building um, somewhere down in the city. So oh, absolutely, uh, I feel the same way. I mean, I, I think more way. people, I think our play, our world would be a better place if more people immerse themselves in, in nature of any kind. I mean, just get outside and, and, you know, that's, I start my day every day by stepping outside. Even if there's snow out my door, I step barefoot on the ground outside to ground myself. And, you know, it's, it just, you know, that's, that's the way to start your day. If everybody did that, I think we'd live in a better place. Oh, for sure. It's hard to replicate that on a treadmill or in a gym in the city. And I say to those people, because, you know, everybody has their circumstances, but then find a weekend or find a long weekend or find a week when you're on vacation and dive into nature, yeah. dive into fully immerse yourself and feel it and turn everything else off. And you'll notice you come back, you come out as a completely different person as what you entered into. Oh, yeah. And and get out whenever possible and see the sunrise. I mean, oh, for that, sure. that'll just change your life. I mean, I, I don't miss a sunrise now. I, I, I need it. I feed off it because it's just, you know, it's the start of a new day. It's start of any, everything new starts with the sunrise. It's just so amazing to, you know, to see that every day. And it feeds me. I, I like it. I like it. Well, Tim, I really appreciate you taking the time. You and I need to have a beer when I get to Boulder. Absolutely. Sometime this uh, this spring, as well as I think you mentioned you're coming out to the Bay Area. So please let me know when that's happening. I will. Yeah, I've got a client out there that I'm hoping to, to come come see. So I will let you know for sure. You and I have too much in common. Definitely. <laughs> we can continue this conversation very long, but we'll keep it simple. And um, I don't want to keep you from getting out there today. It's uh, What's the weather like out there today? Well, you know, I got up early and got in about 6,000 vertical feet of skiing already. Uh, Look at that. Yep. And hoping, <laughs> hoping to go skate this afternoon a little bit. So, yeah, uh, You're living it. You're living it, my man. I, I really like to hear that. And, and the contrast from being such a um, focused and dedicated triathlete and Ironman triathlete to who you are today. It's really um, inspiring and remarkable to hear and your relationship with your daughter and Nicole, who I know from my swimming days also, um, you know, it's, it's beautiful. I, I really appreciate hearing stories and people's lives like this. And um, this one is definitely a special one. And I really look forward to catching up with you soon. Absolutely. And uh, we'll keep keep working on getting that Norseman uh, <laughs> yeah, in before. Yeah. Then, then I can yeah, really give you some advice for that race. Yeah, I'd love that too. But, um, you know, we're getting into mid-February. It's going to get start getting tight. I might have to train for it eventually. <laughs> yeah. I, well, like, you know, 
that one is more about uh, being fit and ready to go. There's specific things you can do, but that all gets closer and closer to the race. But just get that general fitness going. <laughs> I shall. I shall. Well, I appreciate it. And you have an awesome day. I hope you have a great skate this afternoon. And I will surely catch up with you soon. Sounds great, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. All right. Thanks, Tim. You bet. Well, I hope that was an enjoyable conversation that you were all able to glean some information from. Tim is such a nice guy, and I think that came across pretty clearly in that conversation. I mean, just thinking of who Tim is and what he's achieved over the past um, two decades when he was a triathlete is pretty remarkable. Wins at Wildflower, like we talked about, multiple Ironman wins around the world. He is now a Hall of Famer in the Ironman circles. He was inducted into the Ironman Hall of Fame last year in October. And some of the things he talked about came through in this podcast. And some of the things, I mean, he talked about in his induction conversations and his speech. I mean, the guy started as a true age group athlete, right? Back in the days where triathlon wasn't as organized and as formal as it is today with knowing a path to Kona and what the age group path is and how to go about this. But he worked his way up slowly and just doing hard work. I love that. And it was an unpredicted path. And he probably had plenty of setbacks, but he didn't give up and he believed in himself. And that's part of that mindset that we can't overlook. You know, what I think of when I think of Tim is this theme that I'm wrapping my head around more and more with many of the athletes I work with. And that is, I don't want the athlete to think of it of how long will this take, but instead, how far can I go? And what that means with triathletes, ultra endurance, with athletics, is that you're not too focused on what the outcome always is. And we talk about this a lot on the podcast, but instead, on the journey. And many of you might roll your eyes or wonder, well, it can't always be the journey. I agree. I totally agree. A, I used to be a swimmer with a very focused future outcome. So it was less about the journey for sure. And all my years as a triathlete and Ironman um, world champion myself, age group, not overall like Tim, that I was focused on a future outcome for sure. But I didn't ever, ever is a, is a strong term, I didn't, or I rarely thought of it as how long will this take? It took me 10 tries, no more, 12 tries. Well, it's a little bit different. I raced a couple of Ironman Hawaii's as a pro. It took me 10 tries, I would say, as an age grouper to finally win the age group world championship. And it wasn't a question of when will I win this? It's, it was always a question, and we've talked about this on the podcast, of I know I am getting fitter, stronger, more prepared for that course. It's not a question of when. It's a question of how far have I come and how will this just present itself when it does? And how far will I grow in this case or how far can I go? In my case, how far can I grow? Because I only had one outcome in mind, and that was winning Kona. But 
being second and third and second and fourth and fifth and third all across the board, it, one could get frustrated. But just like Tim, it was a question of consistently working hard and knowing it will come if I put in the work on a day-to-day -day basis. And he was very similarly, and he I can quote him on this from his talk at the Ironman Hall of Fame, he aimed to be just a little bit better every day than the day before. So the same process that we keep talking about. He's proud of his slow progression through the age group ranks, being at the top of the age group ranks for a while before jumping to get his pro card. He earned his pro card and gradually from there became the strong athlete and the bona fide threat in every race he entered. So also keep in mind with Tim, <laughs> I mean, this is an interesting observation that I was doing when I was looking back onto his success is that he still remains the only American to win Ironman Kona since he won it, right? Like we haven't had an American Ironman world champion. Tim, Tim O'Donnell got close last year, second, um, since Tim won it in 2002. So, and he's the only, he's, he was one of the first back-to-back -back winners since the legends of Mark Allen and Dave Scott. So overall, hardworking, consistent, believing in daily improvement created this athlete that was just at the top of the ranks and an overall such a good guy. Like I said, you heard that. But some of the things that came across that I wanted to highlight too are his overall belief in fitness and strength at all times. Did you hear that when he said, I want to be ready that when my friends call me for an adventure, I can get out the door and do it with them. Very similar to what we talk about on this podcast, an overall base layer of fitness so that you can pivot within six to eight to 12 weeks towards the event, the specificity of a high level event or a challenging event or an exciting event or a self-curated event that you can then go and do, whether with friends or on your own, whether the opportunity presents itself. You will all notice as ultra endurance athletes that opportunities present themselves. You have an opportunity at some point when somebody says, well, has anybody ever done this? Or why don't you swim across that? Or why don't you do this traverse? Or, or as you're doing your own research and you come across something and go, huh, that looks really interesting. To me, that's always my case with California, where I keep thinking that'd be fun to do and maybe be fun to run it. For example, the John Muir Trail. Or for example, swimming across Tahoe. Creating my own adventure that's ultra endurance, long enough, multiple days, I don't know, 10, 12 hour swims, where you say, it's right here in my backyard and it tests everything ultra endurance that I believe in and that I want to sort of explore. He also talks about outdoor time and nature, right? It seems to me that he has it pretty locked in where he's in Boulder, Colorado, that he fills his soul every day by being outdoors in nature. And whether it's skimo, skate skiing, trail running, mountain biking, whatever he does, and he does a lot with his lovely daughter as well, um, he's outdoors living it in nature. He's filling his soul daily outdoors in nature, something I'm such a huge believer in. And I know it's difficult for many of you 
living in the city to get outdoors in nature. But there's plenty of windows that you can make it a priority to get out there, to get out there and fill your soul to be a better athlete and a better person for when you're back in the city. The city is a great place to live. Don't get me wrong. I loved living in New York for the years I lived there and so forth. But still getting out, still camping, still hiking, still long bike rides, whatever it is. Back then I didn't do long bike rides, but I definitely did camp and I definitely did open water swims. And you come back so rejuvenated from a long weekend or a couple days out in nature that you can tolerate the confined living of a city so much better. Your soul is filled. And finally, we all heard the low heart rate training work, which it's great to hear. And I know this, but I hopefully, I hopefully, um, it's good to hear. And it's nice to be able to convey from somebody else, a world-class Ironman world champion on how he trained. So that was Tim the Boom. So I hope you enjoyed that on this week's podcast. I would love to get some feedback and thoughts and maybe some questions. I did have a question I was going to ask him, and I want to ask any interviewee, no, interviewer. No, I'm the interviewer, the interviewee. Um, I always want to ask them, if you had to give up one thing, beer or coffee, which would you choose? And I was going to ask him that, and I didn't get a chance to. And to follow up with an email <laughs> and sort of just read it to you guys would be sort of, you know, ineffective or boring. But that's what I do plan to ask any of my future interviews. And if it's somebody who doesn't like beer, maybe it's wine or maybe it's something else. But coffee seems to be the staple, but we need to contrast it with something because I believe it also shows if you're a morning person or an evening person or how you wind up or wind down. There's a lot of story behind that question. So, all right, you guys have a wonderful week. It's mid-February. Today's actually Valentine's Day. Happy Valentine's Day to all of you. And we are starting to slowly turn the corner into spring and into training. And so keep in mind, as you dive into this training, as I was saying before, maybe shift the mindset from how long will this take to achieve my goal, to achieve my desired outcome, to achieve that fitness level, to how far can I go? How far can I grow? There is no finish line into this health and fitness that we're looking to achieve. There's only growth and a new normal and a new athlete version of yourself that you will contribute to the overall best possible version of yourselves. Have a great week, everybody, and I will talk to you on episode 129.